Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to episode two of series 13 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. At Insight 222, we are fortunate to work with some of the smartest and most progressive leaders in the field of human resources. Isabel Naidu, my guest on this week's episode of the podcast, definitely falls into this category. Isabel is the Global Head of Inclusion and Talent at FIS, where she runs the strategic talent agenda for the fintech company's 60,000 employees. One of the features of the work that Isabel oversees at FIS is how the company has seamlessly incorporated HR technology to bring personalized consumer-like experiences to its employees and how it has harnessed people analytics. In our conversation, Isabel and I discuss how the new learning platform at FIS is delivering customized learning experiences and supporting well-being. We look at how FIS has built a successful people analytics and workforce planning function. We dive into how the last 12 months have changed what it means to lead. And we look at how having the right people data in place supports a business operating in a fast-paced environment like FIS is. This episode is a must-listen for anyone interested or involved in how people, data, technology and analytics can personalise HR programmes, enhance the employee experience and drive better business outcomes. So that's business leaders, CHROs and anyone in a people analytics learning or HR business partner role. Support for this podcast is brought to you by ChartHop. ChartHop is an org management platform that helps companies turn their business strategy into their people strategy. With ChartHop, you can easily integrate all your HR systems, everything from Bamboo to ADP to Workday, to build dynamic views of your company through a visually rich org chart, robust people analytics, and streamlined headcount planning. ChartHop aligns managers, finance, and HR teams all in one place. No spreadsheets needed. Peloton, MongoDB, Postman, and other leading companies plan their orgs with ChartHop, and you can too. Head to ChartHop dot com forward slash digital HR to learn how HR leaders are leveraging ChartHop. That's ChartHop.com forward slash digital HR. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Isabel Naidu, Global Head of Inclusion and Talent at FIS to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Isabel, it's wonderful to have you on the show. It's great to be here. It's great. It's uh, in this still world of working from home. Um, Can you provide listeners with a brief introduction to your background and your role at FIS? I certainly can. I just want to start by saying I'm a fan of the podcast and it's a <laughs> to be invited on. So thank you for that. Um, so FIS, uh, just to kick us off, is a leading provider of tech solutions for merchants, banks, capital markets, um, you know, globally. And we help our clients sort of use technology in very innovative ways to solve business challenges. Um, we're headquartered in Jacksonville, Florida. We're a Fortune 500 company and we have over 60,000 employees across the world. And I just want to give that sort of context as we're talking, David, you know, to our listeners um, so they know the world that I'm navigating. Um, yep. The function itself looks after the strategic talent agenda for the company. So I have a broad scope across people strategy, talent acquisition, talent management and career development, global learning, inclusion and diversity, employee experience and workforce planning and analytics. It's quite a mouthful, by the way. So if anyone has any bright ideas about how to shorten that intro, I'd love to hear them. That's <laughs> <laughs> a sense of scope um, of what I'm looking after. And, you know, I've, I've really spent my working career in the tech industry with a focus on financial services in particular. Um, and my background is in driving transformational change and, and, and in particular the sort of build and deployment of talent strategies across the globe. 
you look after roughly half of HR, basically, for, for FIS. Is that is that a good way of summarising? I mean, there's loads of parts of HR that I don't look after, like all the business partnering scope and total rewards and, you know, all the operational side of things and so on. So there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I don't look after, but we work very closely together um, across my colleagues and myself. So the fun part of HR. Can I say that? My colleagues aren't all listening. No, you can say that. I, I say the fun <laughs> parts of HR, yeah, definitely. History of analytics and workforce planning and everything. Absolutely. So obviously we've we've known each other for for a few years now. We've we've we bumped into each other at conferences when when we actually did conferences in face to face environments. Yes. And I know you're passionate about how HR technology can support the the talent agenda. Um, so I'd be interested to to understand how you see the HR tech landscape evolving, and how has FIS's approach to HR tech investment changed, if at all, since the pandemic yeah. began. I love conferences, but um, yes, I do remember those days. <laughs> um, so <laughs> let me take the HR tech landscape first. I mean, it's just such an exciting space to be involved in. And I'm so thrilled when I think about HR tech, because I feel like it's sort of finding its rightful place in the tech world. You know, it's like a coming of age thing almost. There's so yeah. long, all these companies seem to equate HR tech with just an HIS. And then over time, there's been this proliferation of exciting new technology and the sophisticated is actually extraordinary. So, you know, what I'm really excited about is this ability to drive a seamless experience for colleagues, you know, because when new technology emerges, I think there's a temptation for organisations to run and implement as much as possible because yeah. there's an offering that exists and they want to go and do it, don't they? But in truth, it isn't always the strength of the individual offering that equates to success in my mind. It's about how those technologies come together that creates an experience that, you know, really helps organisations to drive increased productivity or whatever their their um, objectives are. So from a content perspective, I think we're going to see more evolution in that space of the colleague experience itself. Um, yeah. That's kind of what I, I think might happen. I'm not sure how you see it, but that's sort of what's top of mind for me, evolving HR tech. Um, and from an FIS perspective, you know, we were really in great shape to pivot to this virtual world when the pandemic hit because of all these investments that we've made in HR tech over the last several years. And in fact, we took our organisation from only about 10% working virtually to over 95% in a matter of weeks. And it was really thanks to that tech that we had. And of course, all the collaboration and teaming and so on that went behind that. But we already had a roadmap um, uh, ready that we were planning to take a step back on really for 2020 and think about, you know, what is that colleague experience? How do we embed the technology and the usage of the technology? Um, and that was really important to us. And so we took the advantage, if you like, of the pandemic to leverage all the, ta- the tech that we'd implemented, but yeah. to think about this embedding um, piece of it, you know, how do we mimic the real world experience at work, which is something you've heard me talk about a lot, you know, how do we make it easy to use and seamless? And, and I think that push to virtual working showed, you know, how important it was to make sure that we had the right tech in place. So we paused from future tech deployment and doubled down on sort of making the experience as easy as possible. And, um, you know, we we launched some new technology relatively recently and we were helped by that. Um, so some of it sort of had the best timing in the world for us from that perspective. It is interesting, isn't it, that HR tech used to be implemented for HR, for the business, and it does seem to be, yeah. as you say, this pivot towards actually thinking about the user uh, a little bit more and, um, and and all the benefit that obviously provides to, to employees or colleagues, as in your case, but also then the knock-on benefit that provides to the business as well and all the, you know, the data that, that allows us to, to, to analyse and then even further improve the colleague experience. 
Totally um, agree. And I think, you know, when organisations are considering embedding tech or looking at new tech, that concept of co-creation and really using techniques like design thinking to get behind the true problem statement that you're trying to solve for, what are those challenges? You know, how do you create that emotional connection with the, the customer that you have, whether that's internal or external or in any project that you're embarking on? It becomes so important because that's when you have a voice of your customer and that's when you can make yeah. sure that the solutions that you're creating really speak to their needs. So that's definitely a technique that we've used, you know, always actually, and, and will, I think, increasingly become the way to do things, if not already be the way to do things. Okay, so let's, let's maybe move on to some examples of, of using technology within FIS. And I know that there are a number that we could probably talk about. Um, yeah. I think we've spoken previously about the learning agenda that you've, that you've got at FIS. And I, I understand you've recently launched a, a new learning platform. You know, can you tell us a little bit about that and how that's going? It's going great, actually. <laughs> so with, again, in the world, we launched on April 1st last year. So thankfully, um, and we launched with the LMS server and use LinkedIn Learning as our key content provider. And we actually marketed the system internally and under the name WeLearn. Um, and it's just had such incredible traction. So to give you a little bit of context, David, we had our prior LMS in place for over 10 years. And we only ever reached sort of 30,000 users maximum, you know, in total. And within months of launching WeLearn, we were up to over 40,000. So the uptake has just been phenomenal. And what's been great is, you know, it, the platform has enabled us to create these really customized learning experiences for our colleagues. So we launched a whole host of new resources around thriving in a virtual environment or, you know, focusing on well-being or leading in uncertain times for managers. You know, we were very, very specific about what was the time that we were in and what was required for our people. And when we coupled this idea of, you know, direct access to downloadable content, you know, whether it's in the form of articles or TED Talks or courses and so on, with content that we created, like, you know, one pages or facilitated webinars that people could sign up for. And, you know, it was interesting for me observing this, that some of the sessions that we put in place, you know, particularly around things like well-being and thriving and uncertainty and so on, the places filled up so fast, we had to schedule more and more sessions, we were running all these waiting lists. So, you know, I think that... felt to me like the appetite for learning and people turning to resources in a time of you know a, a really extraordinary stress uh, was was heightened you know by the pandemic and, and actually that launch couldn't have been more timely for us we had we run this virtual tech series in partnership with our colleagues in the IT organization and we saw participation in them climb to over a thousand um, participants signing up for these sessions that was like a I don't know, it was a mechanism of support in, in, in many ways, I think, for, for colleagues across the globe. Yeah, and as you said, the timing was obviously on this case, in this case, very yeah. good because, you know, I think we've seen external research saying that the demand for learning has gone up. Obviously, the way that we're learning is already changing and, and more virtual and not just yeah. sitting in a classroom or learning from a video, but as you said, looking at podcasts and, and other, yeah. other mediums as well. Um, so that's a pretty that's a pretty impressive take up. And obviously, you know, there's a lot of focus about what it was like for employees to suddenly have to work virtually where they yeah. maybe hadn't done that as frequently before. But actually to, to lead teams, um, to lead suddenly leading virtual teams, obviously the challenge there is, is huge. So yeah, great really. that you are able to provide that 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 kind of safety net, I guess, for, for managers and, and other leaders to to kind of understand how you know the differences perhaps between leading virtually and leading when you've got people in front of you exactly right and it's a totally new skill set for many you know who haven't done it before so that is something that organizations have had to step in and teach and I think the other thing is 
virtual allows you to be much more customized. You know, we always think about the, the future of work and the current work environment as something that is highly personalized and customized. It needs to be. And so mm. Does enable you to do that in many ways. What sort of role has data and analytics? Because I know it's something we're we're both passionate about. What, what role has data analytics played with the, with the learning platform? Yeah, of course you're going to ask a question about that. <laughs> I would expect no less. Um, so you know, it, it's critical to everything we're doing. I think you've been quite close to our journey at FIS. Um, we set out to build our workforce planning and analytics function about four years ago now, and we had a mission which still stands today. Um, we always talk about informing decision making through data, and we have held true to that. So we have Vizier, which is a cloud-based analytics tool, which I'm sure you know. I know you're familiar with, but I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with, and we've really been driving more data into that tool to enable insights so of course we do robust dashboarding and tie that to our focus areas for our strategy and so on but we also use analytics to inform our thinking on the effectiveness of what we're doing so we can see if you know managers with higher engagement scores are more likely to have higher retention on their teams or managers who've engaged with a learning solution for example are performing better um, and we can see if there's a correlation between people who go through a full induction and their first year retention so that that's really where the, you know, the beauty of data and analytics comes into play in my mind, because I, I think the challenge with data sometimes, especially for HR organisations, is it can be so overwhelming. And there's this danger, isn't there, of paralysis by analysis. So I think trying to be really specific about the challenge you're solving for or the effectiveness of the solution that you're testing for are really critical to, to making a, a difference and using it in a meaningful way. But, you know, if you ask me the role of data analytics, I say it's everywhere and everything. Without data, we are nothing. I think, as you say, it's less about the data and more about the insights and the data. And it's kind yeah. of the, the so what and the now what, which I've heard other people use, isn't it? So, okay, here's the insight. What do we do with it? And, and what what is the impact of, of, of taking action? I guess. I like that. Would... So what? Now what? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great expression. I might appropriate that if I may. Oh, yes. Well, please do. It's <laughs> not mine anyway. So, so yeah. you can appropriate it, certainly. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> it's almost a mindset shift, I guess, for, for HR professionals to, to embrace a kind of more data-driven approach um to their work and 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 to their you know their work with the business and what are some of the challenges that you that you've overcome there well i think that paralysis by analysis is one of them you know because you sort of come in and you've got all this data i mean hr have always owned a lot of data it's not new for us to have our hands on data it's what we do with it so the, the, the so what now what i can appropriate that so that is one that's one element definitely i think the other thing is you know it's been such a massive boost for HR organizations having data and analytics and insights at their fingertips. So it's really established credibility um, for, I think, HR as a function in many ways, because the rest of the business always dealt with data. And, and you know, we followed, if you like, marketing in that sense. And some, I think, when I, when I think about that journey and evolution of where mm. analytics has been, but, uh, you know, the, the challenge really is making sure that people know what to do with it. So how do they get to that? Um, so what, now what? mindset and how are they able to to really use that data and insights and bring it in the right way so we've really done a lot of work with thinking about what's the best model you know do we build out workforce analytics teams centrally do we try and train people in you know data and analytics do we say that analytics is a core part of everybody's responsibility to some extent but then have a centralized team which is a kind of hybrid model which is where we've landed um, and so we've spent a lot of time over the, the past several years really sort of building out this capability across our HR function rather than just in the analytics team itself. And, you know, 
it's been amazing actually watching people take it up and embrace it. But yeah, I think it's being very specific about the tools that you use and being very specific about the challenge. Otherwise, it's just overwhelming. You don't need everyone to be a data expert. No. You can actually use technology to enable insights really beautifully. Vizia does that for us, in fact. Yeah, and as you said, it's that balance between having a specialist team yeah. and, and kind of enabling as much as you need to enable the rest of HR. Um, right. And that, that helps you then obviously scale, I guess, and, yeah. and create some sustainable capability there. So, yeah, and obviously I know a little bit about some of the stuff that you've been doing. And, and yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, certainly in those four, four and a half years, you've, you've certainly made a lot of progress, I think it's fair to say. I mean, are there any outcomes or, or examples of, of, of the impact of, of data analytics you can you can maybe share? Because I think sometimes it's the stories that really, really bring these, bring it to life, I think. Yeah, I mean, we don't publish our people data, as you can imagine, but I can of tell course. you that in some of, the, um, in some of the key areas that we're tracking, like, you know, employee experience is measured in Glint, who's another one of our partners around engagement, for example, we saw a massive impact last year, you know, higher than ever appreciation of managers and engagement in general, and they're key measures for us to know that our strategy is working. And, you know, without having that data, without having that insight, I have no idea how we would even test to know whether we're making the right investments in the right spaces. So, you know, we use a variety of mechanisms on any initiative that we're running to make sure that we have the impact that we want. So, you know, I mentioned the design thinking and co-creation. We definitely use that principle before embarking on anything. And I think if you do that, right, if you use the right problem statement, if you have steer codes to manage and working groups of different voices, then you can really make sure that you've got the right voices at the table to design solutions with impact. So that's the starting point. It's no good measuring something if it wasn't the right solution in the first place. So that's a way of sort of preempting a challenge later on. And I heard this wonderful phrase uh, recently, actually, in a talk. There's a speaker called Marco Tempest, who's actually an illusionist. And he, he was giving this talk and he challenged the audience to consider, you know, how are you hearing the quietest whispers as well as the loudest voices, which is such a beautiful phrase when you think about all this facilitation that we do, and it really resonated with me. And I think technology can enable it. You know, I think data can enable that. And so we use a tool called Miro, which um, really enables collaboration. And one of the things that it does is it allows you to have lots of people posting their ideas um, through a sort of virtual ideas board. But you can do it without sophisticated technology as well. You can take a minute or two to ask everyone to jot down their ideas before kicking off a brainstorm for example and when you think about the power of data and the power of analytics combined with this idea of finding all these different voices and making sure that you're targeting the right people to, you know to, to engage and embark in these brainstorms I think that's where it really comes to life for us so it's not just about the outcome that you measure it's how do you get to the right solution in the first place um, to make sure that you're not doing wasted work really that's how I view it. Yeah, and I guess what's the benefit of that is, you know, in the past when we looked at HR programs, you know, a few people decide what it's going to be and how we're going to roll mm -hmm. it out. And I know because you kindly shared, um, you kindly shared a, a case study in Jonathan and my upcoming book um, around how you, you you actually use that those sorts of techniques to actually change your performance management system at, at, at FIS, which I think you know I know people enjoy reading when when the book yeah. comes out in July, but. Um, and I think um, you've recently finished taking um, 600 leaders through a virtual learning experience as well. It, it, how did that go? Yeah. 
We have, we have. I'm so proud of what we pulled off. So we had a, a it's last week actually. So I'm feeling a little bit jaded today for this, but it's good timing to talk about it because it's fresh in my mind. So we had a, over 600 of our leaders attend a, what we call our leadership summit. So um, and obviously we do this every year, and usually we do it in person. So we did a number of things to try and make it very engaging. You know, we worked hand in hand with the marketing team at FIS and who run really all the main sessions around this summit experience, and they're a mix of pre-recorded and live sessions um, and and that team really kept everyone very engaged by leveraging tech and so on and we had you know VR experiences we've given everyone branded Google Cardboard and it was just really wow. Yeah, very cool. Um, to keep people engaged you know, around components of the things that we were talking about. Um, and then people had this like, opportunity to experience some of our new products and solutions using the, the, the tech. So it was, it was pretty good fun. Um, but we we did also actually introduce new tech to the organization. So we've been exploring in, in the people office, which, as you know, is our HR function, we've been exploring the use of avatars and communications and learning. So we actually showcased some of this on stage for the first time, which was a bit creepy for some but I think hugely exciting but the bit I'm most proud of is that our you know that was the marketing team really driving the driving that bit of it but the bit I'm most proud of is that our global learning team worked on a series of 100 and I did say 100 small group facilitated sessions so we did 50 of them you know for the 600 leaders in the first week then they got to experience like the power of strengths and you know if you're familiar with your Clifton strengths from Gallup you know these the sessions to introduce people to their teams and so on and then in the second week we did another lot of 50 sessions and we got people to design you know to, sorry just to really try and solve a real business challenge so we brought in these techniques around design thinking and ideation and so on that I've been talking about we brought them to all of our leaders and we use Miro that collaboration tool that I mentioned and we ended up with you know 200 ideas per session and there were 20 sessions so that was like 2,000 incredible ideas you know all coming from these loud voices and the quiet whispers so I think, you know, really when I reflect on that, David, and I've said this before, I blogged about it earlier this year, is you can use virtual to your advantage. So you know, people, we would never have been able to do something like we did last week if we'd been doing it in person. We actually organised people into these different teams and um, each of the teams had to like generate ideas and pass it on to the next one. So we got people ideating and handing it over and so on. And we ran all these sessions concurrently over 20 hours so we were actually able to use the idea of global um different geographies and different locations to our advantage we called it a follow the sun activity you know so people ideating passing on the outputs and following the sun it was pretty amazing 10 fantastic proposals right, that are directly informing our go forward strategy so i'm feeling pretty pretty stoked by it and, and again you know if you're sitting there thinking oh my gosh how am I going to make this next thing virtual or how can I get it done? You can have collaboration, you can have teaming, you can have ideating, you can do all of it virtually and you can actually use it to your advantage in some ways. Yeah, I think technology is um, in a way that if we had to have the global pandemic or the biggest global pandemic for a century, we're, we're fortunate in some respects that we've got the technology, access to the technology that we've got now. And even if this had happened five, ten years ago, you know, we, we, it would have been a very different experience, even more isolating experience, I think. So, um, so yeah, it's, and, you know, and I know from uh, other, uh, another example, I think you, um, you had to, on, you've been onboarding new people, I guess, virtually. And I think, I, I know when we spoke a, a few months ago, you talked about how you had to onboard a, a, a quite a large number of people at a very short notice, I think, at the yes. start of the pandemic. We, we did, exactly. And, you know, it's interesting because, 
there were there are so many terrible things with the pandemic, absolutely terrible. But there is one sort of shining thing that came through for me in, in, in our organization was just the collaboration and the teamwork. And I remember when the pandemic was declared and we spent this weekend, you know, we pulled together, of course, a different a group of different people from across the organization, and we just all said, what do we need to do right now on the, uh, on this topic? There were many other topics, of course, but this one topic of onboarding and how, what are we going to do? We've got people joining. You know, We need to make this an experience. This has got to be something really special. We're so proud of our organization and our culture. And, and so we just sat down and designed it and made it happen. And it was just incredible, you know, the, the sheer volume that we had to deal with and the pivot that we needed to make and by the way I will say again another plug for data having the data at your fingertips in terms of knowing who's coming where and when and who you need to mobilize and so on was just imperative I can't even imagine navigating what we had to navigate and of course that's just one tiny example of all the the things that we had to put in place but yeah it was, it's really been an extraordinary year in so many ways and it'd be I mean as we start to come out hopefully um of the pandemic at some point this year um, as a vaccine being rolled out and everything. I think it, you know, I think there's lots of good practice that we can take from from the year or so working virtually and, and apply that to whatever the new next world is going to be. Um, you know, and we shouldn't forget some of the good things that come out of it. You know, that that example that you gave of of having people collaborating around the globe on that follow the sun kind of ideation, yeah. you know, let's not lose that. But let's also remember what, what it's great to be like when we're actually together uh, yes. as humans as well and, and yes. get that balance right. So um, I can't wait to be together as humans too, by the way. Passionate as I am about what we did last week. And I actually had people say to me that it was more powerful than being in person. So I was pretty pleased with it. But but I yes, I really am looking forward to being in person with people. When you look back on that event, how, you know, what... How did you manage to pivot from from what usually would be an in-person event to a virtual one? And 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 actually, maybe you obviously said some of the the outputs of that. What what you know, and what 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 were the reaction from people? Yeah, so I mean, I think that the how we managed to do it was again through collaboration and ideation. We partnered with an organisation within FIS called the Impact Labs team, who really drive innovation for our clients and through our products. And again, you know, thinking very carefully about how do we create something that feels of its time and relevant to people. So the challenge, the business challenge we were solving for, was something that everyone could associate with. And I think that really helps. You know, find something impactful that has meaning for folks, and you'll get engagement. You know, if it's something that's yeah. too are out there then you're not going to get people to engage um and then you know really in terms of how we drove it and and made it happen we looked at technology we looked at data you know we used we looked at co-collaboration we looked at our usual things and just applied them to this different world um, and we had been helped by the fact that uh, late last year we had run a, a high post of leadership experience for a much smaller group 100 so people virtually which was the first time we'd done that at scale and so we had all those learnings from what worked and what didn't work and you know how we could how we could make that happen so I think you know really pulling together as a team the camaraderie we had across the team was just extraordinary um but the participants experience was impactful so I think that's really how you can see whether you're having an impact or not I think so we'll see when the feedback comes out <laughs> and, and <laughs> that's actually my perspective yes and actually what you said something there which is I think is a good lesson I think for for all everyone in our space when it comes to rolling out new technology i mean how often in the past have we just rolled something out across the whole the whole company whereas i think yeah. now there's much more looking at running pilots learning from those pilots iterating and 
communicating some of that out and then starting to think about how we might roll that out across the organisation. And I certainly think totally. that's an approach that you guys have followed as well, isn't it? Totally agree. And actually with Miro, which we you know sort of piloted last week to many extent, we've used it in pockets, but never at this scale across the 600 leaders. Before we'd even finished, we had 60, 60 requests from people saying, hey, I want to run a session like this for my team and my problem statement. So it was pretty amazing. And I think if you, you can learn by doing, you know, you can pilot stuff, you can do the right creation and so on, and then get them doing something immediately. I think that's the best way to test whether the solution is valid or not. Great. So, I mean, I, I know you wrote, uh, you posted a really thoughtful article actually uh, on LinkedIn a few weeks ago. Um, and it, it was covering a number, number of things, but how has the last year changed what it means to lead? You know, in your role and, and, and maybe some of your peers that you're seeing, you know, both within FIS and outside. Yeah, I have so many thoughts on this. I mean, I think, you know, how passionate I am about <laughs> leadership and the evolving expectations we have, you know, of our leaders and these corporate environments that we work in, and in any environment, really. Um, and we talk a lot at FIS about this notion of transformational leadership. And we have to, uh, you know, use the same words, but we update our definition of what's expected by it and around it because colleagues demand more and more of us as leaders, and, and rightly so. You know, there's... but. I think it's it's hard, right? There's no question in my mind that leadership is hard and it's hard to get it right. And, you know, it's not enough to engage anymore. You have to inspire. It's not enough to check on performance. You have to coach, right? All the things that really got someone to that leadership role are probably not enough anymore. And, and so we sort of need to think really carefully about how we enable our leaders. And, and I think be mindful of that. And when I think about last year, I mean, there were the obvious things like, you know, leading through uncertainty and complexity and, and even the advantages of being virtual that we explored in that follow the sun challenge. But there are really two key changes. I think one is about vulnerability and how you show up. And I think about my own experience. I've always been very, very private about my home life and it's been impossible to be private. I have three kids at home, literally at home. As, as you know, the schools in the UK have been shut for some time and the interruptions have just been perpetual. And the first time it's cute, the second time it's sweet, the third time I'm sure it's annoying for everyone and it's disruptive and I'm embarrassed. And, you know, last year I was sharing this with one of my team members at the end of the year, we're doing a reflection and I was saying, oh, this is how exposed I feel, all these interruptions. And she said, you know, the team have really valued it. And, you know, prior to the pandemic, I always seemed to have it together and I was just working professional with no mishaps. And then last year I had this other side, so there's a vulnerability. And so it got me thinking about this notion of the power of vulnerability there's a marvelous TED talk on it actually and I, I think humanizing leadership and thinking about vulnerability is, is really become more important and then and then the second thing is you know that's changed really and, and maybe it's changed for some or become more critical for others is really this importance of knowing your team so I've always led with individualization you know your Clifton strength so that's the belief that people are you know unique and different and individual circumstances really matter and you have to be mindful of those different circumstances that people find themselves in and then adapt. And, you know, our manager training is all around know yourself and know your team. And I just think it's never been more important than right now. You know, what's your team need? What's the impact that you're having? What are the needs you have? Because if you crack that, you can be a powerful leader. And I talked a little bit about this need for a customized experience. And I think this pandemic world's really brought that home to us we have to flex how we look after our colleagues' well-being, what it means for you, David, is different to what it means to me. So how do we create that environment where people can thrive, all people can thrive? I don't think we should ever go back to one size fits all. You know, you talk no. about going back and what that looks like. That's one thing I definitely never want to go back to, organisations doing one size fits all strategies. 
So they're two yeah. of my reflections, but, but it's a complex, complex topic and it's hard. It is hard to be a good leader. And it's probably going to get even more complex, isn't it, as we hopefully move to whatever the post-pandemic world looks like, because you do, as you said, be mindful of individual circumstances. There's no, this team all needs to go back to the office. Exactly. You know, because that might not work. That might not be what people want. And there's so much more complexity involved in, in maybe managing a team, which could be maybe more, maybe remote, hybrid, maybe some yeah. will prefer to actually be in the office more. So um, it's all sorts of, you know, and I guess this is where data comes in again as well, to yeah. understand that from, from people, you know, and, and blend the need, needs of the business with actually what employees themselves or colleagues themselves actually want as totally well. Totally so. agree. Totally agree. And, and, and it's, you know, and I think that's why thoughtful planning is so important, actually. You know, how do organisations take this time to really consider what their strategy is going to be and how they listen to the needs of their workforce and the needs of their business and the needs of their customers and sort of bring all of that together. But yes, customization, I think, is, as I've been saying for a long time, is really where it's at for me. So it's kind of back, back a little bit to what you said at the, the, the start around colleague experience being at the really the forefront of how we think about things moving forward. And, and that's where where you have uh, FIS invested in, in the technology that supports that. So you're constant, you're, you're regularly understanding from your employees how they're feeling um, and actually then applying that in terms of any plans moving forward as well. It's so important. And there are some companies that haven't made that that haven't made those investments as well so hopefully that it set you up quite well for entering the pandemic which is of course unexpected and hopefully it set yourself up well for coming out out of it as well absolutely agreed yeah and working hand in hand with the other parts of our organization as well as we think about what employee experience is you've been using this term life experience for people you know what's the employee's life experience that we started referring to and you know the role of an organization is evolving so rapidly I mean you just take something like well-being I mean, it would have been unheard of for an organization to be thinking or asking about well-being the way that companies do today so the responsibility now that organizations are taking whether it's through training or elements like benefits or running wellness challenges whatever it is it's a very fast moving environment but this this idea of the life experience I think is going to become more and more prevalent for organizations and I presume that's, I mean, what, what are, you know, that probably is one of them, but what are the, what are the other lessons that you're holding on to from the last sort of 12 months and, you know, what's next on your talent agenda at FIS? Yeah, well, next on my talent agenda is definitely exploring further that concept of life experience and making sure that we get it right, because I don't think we've cracked it yet, but we are on that path. And as I said, in close collaboration with these other organisations across the business, but you know, if I think about lessons and what I'm holding on to, I think it, it's just been such a hard year for so many people that's heartbreaking, the tragedies, you know, the big, the small. and But there are elements where we've tried to, in our workplace at least, find ways to accelerate some of our strategy. And I actually blogged, as you mentioned earlier this year, on some of the lessons and that I've learned, which weren't just gleaned over the last year, but, you know, many years. But I, I think yeah. for me the biggest lesson is people are extraordinary. I mean, I kind of knew that. That. I've always been a people person but last year brought it back to me you know the macro amazing things that people have done that they've created and then the micro moments of just kindness and compassion which have helped so many people through difficult times so I am always been but I'm even more firmly a people fan uh, which is probably a good thing in my job <laughs> yeah I imagine it's quite important and I think actually as you said maybe from uh, you know a few minutes ago around the vulnerability side I think we're seeing that 
leaders that are vulnerable if we just look outside our organizations and, and look at you know the world and politics and we won't talk about individuals of course um we can see that those leaders are actually are more vulnerable and actually say that you know we don't understand what's going on but we're going to try and get our way through yeah. it those seem to be the leaders that are having more resonance with with people completely agree and and there is power in it and it can feel uncomfortable i mean if you're a leader who's never i i, I was that person <laughs> you know I, I was never very sort of keen to share about self and it's driven a different kind of relationship and so it's something to consider, you know, how do you use that power? How do you use that power of vulnerability going forward when it's not forced on you? You know, when I don't have my children interrupting me, which they haven't done, actually, in the time that we've been chatting, which is great. <laughs> um, how, will I, how will I take that lesson forward as a leader? It's definitely going to be part of what I do differently. Well, we haven't had any children on the podcast yet, Arthur, so <laughs> you never know. We might get we might get first. Best appearance. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, last, last question. Um, so we're asking all the all the guests um, on this on this series actually, you know, how does having the right people data in place support a business operating in a fast paced environment? Do you not have the right people data in place and operate in a fast paced environment? If I turn that question back, I'd be curious to know. So, I mean, I think it's key, right, to everything that you do. You can measure impact, you can drive insights, you can improve performance, you can pinpoint where you want to place your efforts. And, you know, for the HR community, it gives you credibility because nothing smacks credibility like a good bit of data and insight. So I would say critical um, and not sure how I'd do it without it, really. Yeah, it's it's um, it's definitely, I mean, certainly from research that we've done, it's it's one of the, if not the fastest growing area of HR still, even in organisations that have had these teams in place for five, five years or more, they're still growing quite significantly. But they're growing. Yeah, you're generating all this demand, aren't you? Because people see mm. that's that you're having and they want more of it. And so you're sort of it's, it's a great problem to have, actually, in many ways. Um, but yes, yeah, scalability is, is interesting. That's why technology can be so critical as well to help. Yeah, with that. I, I agree. And then the, the then the challenge comes around prioritization. I guess you've got so yes. many requests. What do you prioritize above others? And you know, and I guess that's all part of the evolution of a, of a people analytics function. Well, Isabel, it's been wonderful to have you on the show. You know, we didn't get interrupted by kids, either mine or yours. So that's that, that's, <laughs> a, that's an achievement. How can people stay in touch with you on social media? I'm active on Twitter under the Twitter handle Eastern ID, or you can follow me on LinkedIn where I post regularly. And, you know, I love hearing from people, as I just mentioned, I'm a people fan. So I love that. And I love expanding my network and community. And I love learning from others. So get in touch and let's stay in touch. I would say. Isabel, thank you very much for being on the show. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again when we're allowed when to we see can. each other face to face. When <laughs> we can. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. Rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out the My HR Future Academy at myhrfuture.com. It's a learning experience platform for HR professionals looking to get certified in people analytics, digital HR, and workforce planning. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter by going to the My HR Future website. That's all for this episode, but please make sure you tune in next week when we'll be speaking to Ian White the founder and chief executive officer at ChartHop about bringing people data to life. So don't miss that one. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you next time.